0: Previously on the Tony Kornhazer Show.
1: and Sometime in the summer, I have to get your daughter to teach me how to swim. I'm, I need to know. How, I'm not a stander. I just stand. I don't know how to swim.
2: She's available. You might have to go to Peru. To <laughs> She's down there for the Peace Corps.
1: But
2: yeah. It's a short commute. You can
1: yeah. Do it.
0: This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: All righty then. We have Chris here today. Uh, and Chris at some point is going to talk about things that Chris knows. But first, we're going to talk about things that I'm curious about. I'm assuming we have veterinarians who listen to this show. <clears throat> not not cow and horse veterinarians. Dog and cat. Not large animal vets. No, no, no. Right. No, no, no. Although we may. <clears throat> I mean, you I know. know. Yeah. But I don't want them. I mean, I want them to listen but what I'm going to say yeah, now vet. doesn't apply to them, the question I'm going to ask. Michael has had dogs in the sense that he lived with me when I had dogs, and Michael reluctantly cared about the dogs. But it's That's not, not a dog. fair. I named Maggie. Wow. You're not you, a dog
3: you person. You took the dog away from us, Is that- and then you put up a barrier between <laughs> us, the birding dog, and your training methods are lacking, to say the least. I don't have training methods. Uh, I Very luckily, uh, had a had a great relationship with my in-law's dog. Uh, no longer with us, Charlie. but Charlie was a great dog, great family dog, great with the kids. Okay,
1: well, our dog isn't. My dog isn't. She's loving. My dog loves people. In an overbearing way. But yeah, but she jumps. She's a jumper. <laughs> overbearing. She's a jumper. She's a herder. She does all those things that are her nature, you know. <clears throat> Nigel has cats. Yes. So he's he doesn't... Butch and well, Sundance. Well, what, a, what a surprise. <laughs> and, and do you have a dog or a cat?
4: What's no, my mean? wife is... Um, Allergic? Yes, and has serial killer tendencies in that she doesn't like animals because she's allergic to them. So okay. we have no dog, cat, anything. You know, it was a big sacrifice when we got married because I
1: love dogs, had dogs my well, whole life. And I, I mean, I don't want to say anything bad about your wife. Well, I've never ahead, met your fine. wife, but she's making this up. She just doesn't want to have yeah, pets. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what I told You've to had pets.
3: dinner Stop. with Gia.
4: You,
1: know, yeah, I mean, you have
4: met my wife. That's hurtful. When did I meet? You? I don't want
3: to go into the records, but yeah. we invited the Selysis to the oyster roast. Yeah. Oh, been okay. The, that's November, a long time. That's so long ago.
1: I, I, I mean, that's out of my mind. It was mind. delicious. By the yeah. way, that's out of my mind. I don't remember that at all. Well, but I'm I do, I do remember more... Elizabeth's wedding. I do remember that Chris came along. Yeah, I was. I well, yeah, I did. But I came I'm just alone. saying, without without canceling. No comment about my marriage. <laughs> your your wife has made this up for years that she's allergic she, to so dogs. So we have and cats. no,
4: we have nothing like that. My kids are bereft of a dog, which mm-hmm. I grew up with uh, three dogs nice. and. It was Dogs a formative experience. There's Dogs lots
3: of pets you you could get a snake.
4: Yeah, I've thought about s- that. Yep, I've thought Total. about that. Yeah. Yep, a gecko of some sort. <laughs> Did Girl. your kids
3: ever get into the monitor the books? lizard? Who will win? It's a series of animal books where they pit one animal Oh, no, but I'm interested another. in that.
4: Like so, a bear versus a giraffe yes. or something. Yeah. So
3: the boys got very big into Thick big bear. cats, and now they're into snakes bear. because they know dad's afraid of snakes. So every night they have mom print them colors, uh, pictures of snakes. Dad saw them working on a python. Beautiful. And then they just come around me hissing. <laughs> no, uh, But at no, the school, Bootsy terrifying. found a book How called Slytherin. Who Will Win? And the first one was Lion versus Tiger. And it goes oh, through like... Oh, that's a good battle. It basically goes through the strengths of each one. Oh, this is sponsored by DraftKings? But then it does yeah. an actual... Can you bet? It <laughs> can you simulates gamble? a fight, and at the end, one animal doesn't walk away. Wow! That's lion, no lion minus one fifty. Kids shouldn't know about that. Yeah, well, there's a lot of talk about death in our house right now.
1: Wow! Yeah, I mm. right, let no, me get to uh, this. my kids did not get find to the that, Chessie thankfully. story. Yes, Chessie, Chessie isn't pooping the way she used to. Chessie is an older dog now. She's eight years old. And Chessie was the most regular dog in the world. The amount of food that Chessie got when she was younger is the same amount of food that Chessie gets now. Nothing has changed. The going in hasn't changed. I take Chessie out in the morning in the 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock region. And Chessie goes out again around 10 o'clock. And then Chessie goes out again with me around 6 o'clock at night. And she used to poop all the time. You know, each one, not all the time, not like three times during the walk, just once, really good. Everybody was happy with it. And now she stopped doing that, like, all the time. Now maybe once a day, maybe twice a day. doesn't do three times a day anymore, again, with the same food intake. And now, in order to get her to poop, I have to walk, like, miles. I mean, I have to keep going. You know, I, it, we used to have...
3: So that's what happened to your sneakers.
1: Yeah, everybody has a standard walk. Everybody knows how far right. they go. This is the this We've is the added on blocks and blocks and blocks in order for me to get her to maybe go into what I call a making walk and squat down. And it's funny. I got bags with me. I'm ready to do and You know, it's, it, it's all fine. So I was wondering if maybe a veterinarian could tell me, is this common as dogs age? Because she's eight now. Is it common that they poop less? Her appetite is fine. Her, but her she seems fine after all. Is- oh, right. so Doesn't yes. feel like
3: she's suffering anxiety. No, no, yeah, no she
4: seems no, good. Nothing that I can see. That she greeted wrong. me warmly this morning. It's not like thing- she's
3: afraid to to go away. If you know what I mean.
4: Yeah. Seriously. What away you- from you know away from home. Like people who only go to use num- go number two at the house. Like my kids. She's never done it in the house yet.
1: Well, I no, mean no, like, like in the like yard close in, the, in to a, close the yard, to home. Close to yard I would be fine if she did it in the yard. Now is
3: she I like the term making walk Is making she still work. is she still taking care of her business on the
1: main mid-morning 10 o'clock walk cuz that she might have circled that one as work gets no, done. No, so half the time no. I'm, what I'm saying is that instead of being 3 for 3, she's more frequently 2 for 3 and you got to earn it. You got to work. Yeah, you got to work. I Sounds mean, like she I'm, needs I'm some finding roads. Exactly. You know? So I mean, use I used to take her out well, we've been told maybe to give her some pumpkin, which is fibrous, and and will and yeah. get, get her to make... I mean, I mean as long as she... As I'm long take, as I used to take her out on a 30-minute walk, and it's now 40 to 45. And I'm accommodating, you know what I mean? But when I say to her, I go, hey, um, you know what? You get, what, right. what would you like me to do? Where can we go here? What? So anyway, that, I, that's, I just wanted to mention that on the assumption that there are some vets who listen to the yeah, show. I guess. we'll get some... Not, but as Chris said, not large animal vets. Yeah. No. Like, in other words, I, what I don't want to hear is, so I have this cow and... <laughs> uh, I mean, that doesn't... No. Right. In the moose
4: business... Yeah, we yeah. don't want to hear that. And by the way, I should point out, on your walk this morning, it was very,
3: very
1: cold. I wore the lily hammer jacket. I was going to say, it had to be a lily hammer jacket. It's turned cold for like two weeks, right? There's no golf. It was like 32
4: this morning. Windy and cold this morning.
1: I mean, I've got a couple of days off from PTI because of the tournament and there's no golf. It's too... Hmm. Yes, well, I don't know. Dogs are... Dogs don't care about cold or I dot. mean, I
4: mean, my hands was chilled go. when I got my Starbucks this morning. So, I mean, wow. we all we all deal with our own hardships.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, Not what all heroes wear capes. Exactly. Well said, as <laughs> usual, Nigel. From Larry Marshall in Zanesville, Ohio, thanks for mentioning the TK-inspired coasters on the show a couple of weeks ago. Ours are on the set. Yeah. Yep. I didn't expect that, and I certainly didn't expect over 100 Littles to order sets of coasters. Wow. If you do the math, that's a lot of coasters. Needless to say, my free time is pretty full for the foreseeable future, but I enjoy the challenge. As I was staining coasters the other night, the thought occurred to me, with a sudden rush of orders for such a niche item, I wonder if anyone over at Etsy noticed and asked themselves, who or what is a Tony Kornheiser? (laughs) As I was again, Tony Kornheiser? Okay. Who? As I was again prepping coasters Monday afternoon in the workshop and listening to the show, I was surprised to hear you read an Etsy ad on the pot. I'm not presumptuous enough to think there is some sort of correlation, but it is an odd coincidence. Anyway, thanks again for the shout-out, and thanks to the masses of Littles who ordered. I promise I'm efforting to get them all finished. Again, ours are on. Yeah. You can see We them have on ours on
3: Liz's desk. They're beautiful. Use it every day. And yours? Mine on my coffee table. That's okay.
1: my, my flat. Yeah, from but, Dave Schramm in Colchester, cats Vermont. Cats use it.
4: Yes, they
3: Hi. Do.
1: <laughs> With spring training underway, I assume we'll be hearing from Buster Olney soon. Well, I've, I've put in that request. Yes. To Nigel. I think about sending him this every time you have, uh, you have him on, but of course it's too late by the time I hear him. So this is a preemptive buster strike. Since I know you were fascinated with his pre-sports writer life, allow me to add to his bio with this little story. I left for college in the fall of 1984. Feeling a little homesick, I called home from the payphone on our dorm floor. Payphone on our dorm floor. Old uh, school. Yeah. I got my mom, who after a cursory, are you okay, explained she couldn't talk because they were barbecuing. Barbecuing, I thought, that's a little unusual. I couldn't recall the last time he barbecued, but okay. Post-Dave life, must roll on. I asked to speak to my father, and here's where it gets interesting. My mom replied, he can't come to the phone. He's in the backyard playing wiffle ball with Buster. <laughs> what? He's playing wiffle ball? He probably hadn't played wiffle ball with me in Let's See Forever, and who's Buster? <laughs> Buster only was hired by my parents to work in our family bagel bakery in West Lebanon, New Hampshire, just a short drive across the border from where Buster grew up. My dad, though a friendly guy, never socialized with any of the people who worked for him until Buster. Wiffle ball, high school basketball games. My dad had a hand in helping Buster recruit a player to Vanderbilt. Pinball at the arcade. Probably took him for pony rides and fishing, too. (laughs) For years after, as Buster was becoming famous, my mother would call me at work to say, are you watching ESPN? Buster is going to be on. I'd reply, no, Mom, I'm at work. I don't watch TV at work. And remember, he replaced me. This is so Michael. This is so Michael. To which she would reply with an exaggerated sigh, well, you should watch. Sure, Mom. If you get tired of asking him about cows, you can ask him about bagels or my dad, who probably still talks to him since I assume he's in the will. Buster only, the <laughs> son my father never had. At least it took almost a week to replace me. I got that going for me. Say hard for me. New Balance six twenty six. Dave Schramm. That Cole is just, brilliant. How great is that? Brilliant. Hold on to that. <laughs> he's he's just, he has any summer ball, camp memories. Wiffle ball in the backyard with Buster. Yeah. How great! Is I can that? smell oh, the I can smell the grill time. from here. It's just so great. such a fun time. Yeah, that's a that's one of the great. Do you want cheese on your burgers? <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Hi, son. You know Buster. Yeah, Buster. He's staying in your room. I, hope yeah. that's I like how he
4: says he's probably in the
1: will. <laughs> so yesterday, I just wanted to mention this. So yesterday, Mike was off PTI. And when Mike's off PTI, when I'm off PTI, Mike is free to do NBA stories. Yeah. Of yes. the gazoo. Okay. Because I'm not going to say, wait, I'm tired Light of this. Like the beam, the Sacramento Kings win again. Yeah. You know, so hey, and when Mike's won. off. We can do what people want. NFL stories. <laughs> right. Because the NFL outrates the NBA by I don't know fifty to one. So yesterday Pablo was on. We did we the whole A block was, was NFL stories. Yeah, lots of NFL we stories. We did a story about um What's his his name? Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. Not getting the $45 million tag. Yeah, the thirty
2: two. million one. They want the
1: cheaper one. If they're going to lose him. Non-exclusive. Yeah, if they're going to lose him, if he wants to make his own deal, and let's see what happens. And then we were able to do a speculative story on Aaron Rodgers. Wilbur hates those stories, (laughs) refuses to do those stories. And then we did a story on Seattle signing Geno Smith and should they draft a quarterback. It was heaven. (laughs) Because it was what people actually gold. Jerry Total ratings gold, and then in the B block, we did a couple of ba- – one basketball. What I don't even remember. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. But it was just wonderful. The Lamar Jackson thing, I sort of feel – I didn't say this on the air, but as you know, if you listen to this show, Jason thinks he's gone. He's yeah. been saying this for months. Yep. Yeah. He thinks he's he's gone. Well, that's certainly – And Baltimore has given him permission yeah. to work a deal, and then they'll see if they're going to match it. But I'm not sure – they should match it. But I'm not sure they will. I think what they're hoping for is sort of collusion on the part of the owners to exclude the Haslam's and their all guaranteed contracts, right? Doesn't it look like that they're hoping for? I, it seems is. I thought it
4: was super weird that, like Atlanta, for example, whose quarterback is currently Desmond Ritter, was like not interested. Like it feels right. a little they collu- cut Marcus collusion, you know, well, among the owners that like it only takes we're one. Not, I know, but it only not, takes one. I think, I think Haslam. setting the bar. With, well, Haslam's got already. That's true. the problem. I yeah. think the Haslam thing: two hundred forty million guaranteed has set the bar so high for quarterbacks that they don't want to match. I just think it's weird that, look, Lamar Jackson is twenty seven, uh, Right. So six twenty six. In his prime. He's for, great. Former MVP.
1: He's great. His, 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 you can his, win a Super Bowl with win, him.
4: His win-loss record, I know that's not the only thing, but I think I heard it this morning. It's, it's like 46-15 and 15 or something crazy like that. I mean, I would just think more teams like your Washington commanders would be
1: interested in yes. him. Yes. So now it, he he's represents himself. I think this will get burdensome. He and his mom yes. do this. Yeah. If you're going to be a football player, it's really hard to do this. It's all the time. It's why we
4: have. It's why most people, even in
1: our industry,
4: have representation. a lawyer, representation. Agent. Yes. Right, I have an agent, you
1: have a lawyer. I mean. Plus, I don't want to hate the people who are trying to correct. screw me out of money, No, you don't want to get the into the money no. No. Well, so Jared is the greatest in the world. Yeah. He's the, yep. I, I, how, doing this alone, what are you doing? It's, well, you keep
4: more, I mean, you keep more of your money. How but, much but more? It's just, to I me, think there's, how much I you think need, there's a right? law
1: in the NFL I think it's a 4% law. It's not 10 oh, or 15%. No, it's not. Because there's so much money that they don't want to put you in jeopardy in that way yep. of an unscrupulous agent. They don't they don't want to do that. Didn't you tell me Chris your agent takes
4: 75%? Yeah, no, that's uh, industry standard. Oh. That's what they tell me. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. By the way, I just looked on espn.com and what's the first thing I see? A picture of the orange bald man why Tony Kornreiser is questioning Ravens' handling of Lamar Jackson.
1: Yeah. There it is. Right on time. We made the big time. Yeah. Don't ever look at social media and tell me about it. I no, no. He has no, pinned up This is the website. What is that? Yes, oh, my gosh. I don't know what that they've they've been, been sports and you know, clips of Do you, do you know that over the years, it is conceivable I have over a million. Messages from them that I have never seen. Good. I have never logged on to ESPN.com or whatever it is that I would log on to as an employee. Maybe that's where you choose the good health care church. <laughs> yeah. My healthcare exactly. Thing. Yeah. I got hosed. The Cigna thing. Again, callous indifference gives no aid. Cigna. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's take a break. We're going to come back and ask Chris. Questions about uh, his wheelhouse, or are we not? Mark Feinstein. Feinstein yes. first? Yes. Oh, Mark, and then Chris. Okay, yes. Feinstein first. And we have background on We're not going to, it's not just baseball. No. It's apparently Feinstein wanted to be Steven Spielberg. Yeah. You know, I wonder I wonder if there was, if Dave in Colchester, Vermont, if his dad knew that about Feinstein, <laughs> then he would have taken so him true. in the bagel joint, too. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
5: For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
6: This is the Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: This is sent to us by Andrew Bruce in Columbia, South Carolina. That is the part of the yeah, state where the University yeah. of South Carolina is. And he writes, I'm excited to share two songs written and performed by the woman I'm related to by marriage, Abby Bruce. This is called Heaven, right? This is Heaven? Yes. And he says, the first track, Heaven, is especially significant for me as she wrote the first draft of the lyrics as an anniversary present for me several years back. Isn't that wonderful? She recorded these songs last year while pregnant with our third child, a masculine child. We have two older boys, age six and four, so I've found too many parallels with Michael's stories in our own lives to even count. This is Abby Bruce, who says, please give my my regards to Edith. Edith is here today, so that's Mm -hmm. wonderful. This is called Heaven. She's really good. It's very good. Yes. She's really good. (laughs) Really good. Wow. And again, we're always stunned when we think about how good these people are, and we don't know that they're making any money. We hope they are. Oh, yeah. Okay. um, She plays in Mark Feinstein, and we can talk about baseball, and we will. And I will ask Mark at some point how the new rules are going. You know, and I will ask Mark maybe one other question about baseball, but we're not talking about that because we got an email that you wanted to be a director, that you went to college at BU to be a director. You want to talk about this, please?
2: Uh, that's absolutely true. I was uh, wanted to be a film director since ninth grade. I was very inspired by Tim Burton. He was my favorite director, very creative guy. And that was where I saw my life heading. Uh, I was going to go to USC. Some things happened. I didn't go there. I ended up at Boston University. And in my freshman year, we did like the communications 101 where they give you two or three weeks on each aspect of the school. And the film lectures were dreadfully boring. And I said, I'm out. Uh, And I was trying to figure out what was next. And the gentleman named Jack Fowler, who used to write for Sports Illustrated, gave the one of the journalism lectures. And I was enraptured by his uh, his speech and his talk, and I talked to him afterwards, and all of a sudden, I said, all right, going to be a journalism major. Let's go.
1: Okay. We're going to go backwards on this <laughs> a little bit. We're going to go back to the I'm out part. You know, like, well, you wanted to do this since night, boring. Brain, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> so, wait, I just want to establish the parameters here. You never wanted to be an actor. Uh,
2: well, I did when I was younger. I had a I uh, did a lot of theater when I was when I was a kid in high school. Tried out for a movie, actually made it to like the final ten for a role in the movie *Big*, which my friends love to torture me about when that movie comes on. Um, but I, I discovered pretty quickly that uh, I didn't want to be a waiter, and so the actor thing was not uh, where I was where I was headed. And I talked to somebody at, at BU after the film lectures, and I said, "Hey, how much of the film curriculum is?" you know, all the technical stuff, because, you know, how much is the creative stuff? And they said, oh, it's probably about 90-10. I said, huh. And I just couldn't see myself going through the technical aspects of film. You know, I had thought about being a director as a teenager, thinking it was, you know, well, you'd go on set and you'd tell everybody what to do and you'd, you'd figure out what looks cool and you'd make a movie. Um, you know, I was shooting movies on the little Sony, uh, you know, the little mini VHS tapes that you used to have back in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s. I never thought about the big equipment and sort of how difficult directing is. So, um, you know, I directed some stage stuff in high school, but that was, you know, (laughs) not very technical. So, uh, yeah, you know, and then then I was always a huge sports fan. I did some writing for my school paper when I was in high school, and so I knew I could write a little bit. uh, I said, well, I love movies, but I also love sports, so let's give this a try. It seems like it might be more fun.
1: Okay, well, again, we're going to go backwards a little bit. You directed, you wanted to re- direct films more so than plays. Do I have that correct? That's what you wanted to yes, do?
2: Yes, yes. Okay. I was completely uh, in love with movies. I watched every movie I could get my hands on. I had a gigantic VHS collection of, you know, I would just take movies off HBO and and watch them and, and you know, he saw everything I could see in the theater. Um, you know, a big movie would come out, my friends, and I may have left school a little early to go catch an afternoon flick. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved movies. Okay. I was, uh, you know, that's where I wanted to be. Now, if I'd actually ended up going to USC, maybe I would have stayed in the film thing because I would have been there specifically for that. Uh, but this gentleman, Jack Fella, who passed away about eight or 10 years ago, was a hockey writer for SI and was just a, a huge inspiration in my life, a huge mentor. And uh, his his class, uh, sports journalism class in particular that I took as a junior, really sort of cemented, okay, this is what I want to do.
1: Again, I'm going backwards. I'm going to go backwards. This is like Chuck and Roxy. I'm going to go backwards.
2: Who, oh, by the way, are lovely. Yeah, I, had a I don't know experience on their podcast. Uh,
1: that's how we heard. That's how we heard They're about great. this. So let me go backwards to this. I can't even imagine being a director. I mean, as I sit here and do this show right now, cannot imagine what it is to be a director. I have great admiration for the Steven Spielbergs of the world that they can do this. What was your Mark? What would you say your biggest skill was in terms of directing? Where you said I've got this, so I know I can be a director.
2: Well, I like to boss people around. Number one, Um, (laughs) uh, I I just you know I I was interested in the different creative aspects of it. Of why is this movie good? Why is this movie bad? And you'd watch something like Goodfellas and see the shot where they're walking through the kitchen uh, and be like, and the
1: Ronettes are playing. Yeah. How did
2: Scorsese think of that and matching up the music with it, and uh, you know, or, or you'd watch uh, Reservoir Dogs in the scene where they slow mo their walk. And I know yeah. I'm mentioning some very obvious ones, but as a teenager, you're looking at the obvious ones. Uh, I, I think you know just the idea of uh, taking a story because I wasn't a screenwriter, I wasn't, I never wrote plays, uh, I never wrote, you know, just, I mean, I wrote, I guess, some short movies that we direct, you know, to be did as but nothing. It was really good, um, but I like the idea of taking a piece of, of somebody else's work and putting your vision to it. And I, I did that, I directed, a, you know, One Floor of the Cuckoo's in High School, um, which was a lot of fun. And, you know, so obviously you're very influenced by the movie when you're 17, but we tried to, you know, sort of put our spin on it. I don't know if we succeeded or not. I think you'd be better off watching Jack Nicholson. Uh, but it was fun. And I just, I liked the whole process of, um, you know, putting your uh, your creative take on something and so, you know, look, when you're 16, you have no idea what you're going to do with your life. I'm telling that to my Ooh, my kids now. They're I both in high school.
1: I don't know. sometimes you do. I and, did. Uh, I, yeah, I knew hey. I was seven or eight or six, and I knew exactly what I wanted to be. And I became that thing. And so, I mean, if I had written for my high school paper and my teacher at the time, Mrs. Carol Bartlett Smitten, who didn't like me. If she had said, you have no talent whatsoever, I'm not sure I would have said, I'm out. I'm not sure, Mark. I'm not sure that one thing would have gotten me to say, I'm out.
2: Well, it wasn't just one thing. It was, it was a little more digging after those lectures. But what's funny about that is I wrote for my high school paper. And I didn't think I was a writer at all. But I had a teacher. And I never did particularly well at English. And, and I had a teacher named Janice Warner. She was my 11th grade English teacher. And she was the first teacher I ever had who sort of said, you are a good writer. You can do this. Just focus a little more. And people like you. you Exactly. (laughs) And and she was the first one that ever made me think, "Wow, maybe I can write a little bit. I started writing more for the school paper. So even though I didn't go to college thinking, I want to be a sports writer, I want to do this, I knew that it was something I enjoyed doing because I had done it in high school and you know, I, as big of a movie fan as I was, and as much as I wanted to do that, I was the sports. Sports were always the biggest thing for me. I mean, I was a huge sports fan. You know.
1: Well, you could have been after. Ron Shelton. You could, could have, have, have written been. and directed the greatest sports comedies of all time.
2: Yeah, but Ron Shelton had already made those movies.
1: Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> the next Ron. You could Shelton. have been the next <laughs> Ron, <laughs> Ron, Shelt- Ron what? Shelton. What? But yeah. why didn't you? Maybe you did. Maybe And before you said, I'm out, did you ever say, maybe I could transfer to NYU film school, or maybe I could go somewhere else and pursue this? M- maybe the because I had one bad lecture at BU, I'm not going to get off this. Did that ever well, come up? And-
2: NYU is a non-starter. I grew up in Manhattan and I was not going to college in Manhattan. Okay, uh, So that, that was not an option. And USC was very far away. And those are the two film schools that everybody looks at. Right. Uh, you know what? It was not as much as me deciding I'm absolutely out on film as much as me hearing these other, you know, hearing Jack Fallis speak and talking to him about that business and deciding, you know what? Maybe that's where I should be. Like, maybe this is... is Better suited for me. Maybe this is where I'm meant to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not always a believer in like everything happens for a reason. But, you know, if they had any other lecturer for the journalism class besides Jack Fala, I might not be where I am right That's now. Right. So, That's right. So, you know, I dedicated, I, the first book I ever wrote, I dedicated to him. He was a huge influence on me. Uh, I went and spoke at BU. And after he passed away, they established this speaker series in his name. And I went up and spoke. And it was, it was, his son was there. It was really emotional for me. And, uh, you know, Jack was a, a, just a wonderful guy, a great writer. He's written several books, big hockey guy. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I just think having him, maybe if I'd slept through that lecture that morning, who knows where I'd be, but I was there and it was great. And here I am.
1: Would you like, would you like to direct community theater even now? Would you could, could we convince you to do something like that?
2: Well, it's probably been 30 years since I've directed anything. And right. given the success, and given the, I guess, lack of success that I have directing my own kids, I'm guessing at this <laughs> point that uh, uh, the directing thing is probably out the window.
1: <laughs> I just find it interesting that people, you know, I, I found that story very, very interesting. Well, is there a particular reason, by the way, because your mentor was a hockey guy and you're a baseball guy? How did you get to baseball?
2: Uh, by chance, I was, uh, my first couple jobs out of college were not baseball related. I was a staff writer and assistant editor of Sports Business Daily, which is a sports business trade publication. And then I was at foxsports.com for a couple of years, sort of jack-of-ball trades, doing a little bit of golf, a little bit of baseball, some New York stuff. Uh, and then MLB.com started up in 2001. Yeah. I had a friend who was working there, and he told me, hey, they're looking for a Yankee writer and a Mets writer. And they he got me an interview. Uh, I actually interviewed for the Mets job first. Uh, They wanted more of a Mets fan at the time because it was the first year, and I think the teams were really involved in hiring. I ended up getting the Yankee job despite the fact that I had never covered a baseball team. Uh, It was quite an introduction to baseball beat life, jumping into the Yankees beat uh, with Buster Olney and Dan Graziano and all these guys, uh, you know, Anthony McCarran and all these really established beat writers, Ken Davidoff, George King, and, and it was really intimidating. Uh, but I figured it out after a year or two and ended up you know, at the Daily News six years later and 16 years on that beat. And here I am in year 23 of covering baseball. And it, you know, I, I was talking to somebody. I was, I was at a Diamondbacks game yesterday, and I was talking to our, uh, our Diamondbacks writer. We were the beat writers for the first World Series at MLB.com in 2001. And we were reminiscing about that. And I can't believe that was 22 years ago. It feels like it was yesterday. So it's, it's gone by pretty fast. Um, but you know, once you once you get into that baseball writing universe, uh, it's it's pretty addictive.
1: Here, lifers, uh, God bless them. Steve Jacobson, my dearest friend in the world. When you're a baseball writer, you're a baseball writer for life. You are. That's it. That's that's the addiction. The football writers are not for life. Basketball writers, please stop. Foot. Right, am I right on this, Mark? Baseball writers is a lifetime job.
2: Yeah, and I think part of it is I look at baseball as being the best sport to tell stories and. Um, you know that that's what we do. We want to go out there and tell stories. I, you know, look, the reporting is great, and that's what we do, um, especially in my job. Now I'm trying to find out who's signing where and who's trading who. Yeah. And uh, you know, the, you know, at the Daily News, we did a lot of work in the, on the PED situation with A-Rod and all those other things. But at the heart of it, you want to you want to tell stories. You want to tell people why they like baseball, why they should love this sport, why they should like this guy, the interesting story about this guy. We have more access in baseball. There's more games in baseball. There's more days you're around the team in baseball. And there's more sort of quirky characters in this game. And I think that the storytelling aspect uh, of baseball is, is unrivaled in, in sports in general. And so if you like, you know, you better like the sport because you're at the ballpark a lot. And you cover a lot of games. Uh, and God knows you have a lot of Marriott nights. But yeah. um, it's, uh, you know, it's, to me, it's the best writing sport because there's just so many intricacies of the game, on the field, off the field, and people in the game have so many diverse backgrounds that uh, it really you know, gives you an opportunity to, to dig in and tell a lot of different stories.
1: So, you know, my son Michael was Joe Hardy in Damn Yankees. If we did that around here, would you direct it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe. I'll tell you one quick funny story. So the one director I've ever had any encounter with, like famous director, yeah. um, was, was Penny Marshall. And I've oh. had two encounters with her in my life. The first one was as a uh, 12 or 13-year-old trying out for the movie Big. I tried out for um, the role of Tom Hanks as best friend. And I got, I think, to the finals 10 or so. Huh? And I went and read for Penny Marshall. I didn't get the role, obviously. Fine. No problem. Great experience, etc. cetera. Uh, fast forward to about 2005 or so, Penny Marshall's at the Yankee game uh, standing on the field during BP. And my friends on the beat knew about my my history of having tried out for this movie and read for her. And they're like, you have to go say hello and tell her that you read for her as a 12-year-old. And I said, well, mm, no, it's sort of silly. Well, she's not going to care. They're like, you have to. You're, you're here. It's, it would be great. So I go over and I said, hey, Penny, how are you? I'm Mark Meinsand. I'm be writer for the Daily News. Uh, funny story, actually. I read for you for, for big back in you know, 1987, 88. Um, and she looks at me and goes, oh, and then turns her head the other way. <laughs> <laughs> My friends, my friends are watching this. Tyler Kepner and Sweeney Birdie are watching this from the dugout, and they are dying. That's and I great. walked back, I said, that's the last time I'll ever listen to you.
1: That's so good. <laughs> Thanks for being on. I don't even care if the new rules are working. <laughs> I assume the new rules are working, right? You have nothing else to report on that. They're working game, so far.
2: Game, games are a lot shorter. I'll tell you this. Uh, everybody in the press box really enjoys two-and-a-half-hour games. And just the pace of them have been great. They've been, uh, you know, just much crisper. And even in spring training, when things are a little less crisp, usually in second half of games, you've got double-A players playing a lot of them. Uh, I think players are going to use this month to adapt to them. And by the time we get to the season, certainly by the time we get to – May 1st or Memorial Day, I think people are not even going to be talking about it. It's going to be second nature. So they're learning, they're figuring it out, but uh, so far, so good.
1: Thank you, Mark. We will talk again soon. Thank you for sharing those live stories. (laughs) Appreciate it. Mark Feinstein, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We'll get to Chris. I'm Tony Kornheiser.
0: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: You're listening to
2: The Tony Kornheiser Show.
1: Once again, this is Abby Bruce. This is a song called Man from Alabama. Her music is found on all the major streaming services. Check out her EP, her husband says. Is this a word? Summel justice et peccator? What does that mean? Uh, that sounds, sounds Latin. Latin to me. Yeah, as, a, la- Latin. as a
4: former Latin
1: uh, student, sounds that's Latin. Latin. Yeah. yeah, we'll yes. have to get... Um, what it says by the I way, I would, uh, it's the crystals in The Godfather. Not The Godfather. In Goodfellas. In Goodfellas. It's the... I've Chris- got both things wrong now. Yeah, you're it's slipping. not the Ronettes. It's the crystals, and it's Then He Kissed Me, which is also, by the way, covered by Al Jardine on The Beach Boys. Album. Oh, yeah, they, That's do a really great do, version they, they do a great job. And
3: I just want to just shout out to Tony Rialli for one of the best versions of that. Remember when he did that yes. handheld? Yes. As, as he was walking into uh, Around yes. the Horn? Just, just wonderful.
1: Fantastic. Just wonderful. Okay. Um, thank you to Abby Bruce. Michael, if people like Abby Bruce or her hubby wants to send in her music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. All right. So we, we need to talk to Chris about a variety of things. But we don't need to. What we're going to talk about first, we don't need to talk to Chris about because he doesn't know any more than the rest of us know about this. This story in Mexico, yeah, is actually. I don't want to say it's unbelievable because it is believable. It's terrifying. It is totally terrifying. Yesterday, when I heard about this, I called Chuck Todd because I wanted to know because in the in in the story that I read. And, and, you know, when nobody really knew what was going on, it said that these people had gone to Mexico from Texas for a medical procedure. Mm-hmm. And so I called Chuck's. I figured he would know. I said, a medical procedure? And he goes, a tummy tuck. Yep. I go, unbelievable. A t- what do you make of this? So, what about the lawlessness five feet from the I United was, States of America? I was going to say, so the report
4: is they four of them went down there. They're from South Carolina. They got in a car. Four of them went yep. down there. They crossed uh, in Texas, you know, so that part of the Southern border and within minutes were being fired on and, and taken out of their car and put into a van and being transported to, I think, three different locations. Yes. If you look at where they were taken versus where they, they were found in a house yeah, like south a, of where they were taken yeah, like with two, two like of that. them dead, one with a bullet wound in the leg, I believe, and one not injured i mean it were they going to be held hostage for money well so what i have read and like you said i i caveat this with i know what i've read i, I have no special reporting on no. this the i team has not been out to investigate this but the the from what i have read there is some speculation that they were mistaken for haitian immigrants or migrants rather haitian migrants who fetch a significant. Price. They're sold? When kidnapped. That's what I've read. When kidnapped, they get. Get a nice. Paid return. off on. Right. I know I'm not saying it right, but exactly what Nigel said. And so that is apparently the speculation of why it happened the way it happened. But I mean, it, it literally is within like a minute of them crossing the border, they were immediately accosted and shoved
1: into a, a, a van and, and taken away. Is this a common practice that people go to Mexico for liposuction? I. I would assume it's just cheaper there. I mean, I
4: I don't know. It's not unbelievable. Especially when there's a, I mean, there is, I believe, I think it's a level four warning from the United States about travel to Mexico. I mean, this is, Mexico is not in a good place right now. I mean, you know, they probably were unaware of this, but there are warnings from the U.S. government about do not go to these places because of the, the potential for violence so Do you think there are that- two
3: pieces that seem like are confusing too which is by and large are people leaving this country to go get medical procedures mm-hmm. at a cheaper rate and the answer is a resounding yes and yes. i think this wow. is something that happens yes. worldwide i had no where idea people are leaving yeah. to get easier access to elect mostly elective surgeries yep and then the, the second piece would be how quickly they're able to surround this car and you look at it going well
1: it's like a military operation how much
3: messaging is there that says stay away from americans because we'd like to keep attention as far away from us as possible yes. and that's where there seems to be
1: this that's, uh, so that's this, to the this, so that's to the confusion point when you're exactly going like across that. the border don't you have to go across the border at what we call a border crossing aren't there like gates and things does somebody in the united states say to these people we don't think this is a great idea we cannot help you over there and we think that you're in some sort of jeopardy it's not like going to a resort or a cruise, right? This no. is a different situation. Right, but not everything
3: is like the you know the Tijuana checkpoint that you're thinking of, and I think right. Chris might have a better experience with this, just because he sees every year how vast Texas yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, and this is something that was coming to our attention. We were, like, you know, years ago we we're talking about the wall, and you just think about how much space you're trying to account for. But you yeah. look at this area, and you would always have these uh, communications about like, hey, here's the best places to visit if you're going over the border just to get. A cheaper meal or to get a different, you know, different right. type of food.
4: I think that there are, to Michael's point, there are elaborate places where you cross, where there's a huge facility. Yeah, and that's what I'm used but, to in my but mind. But I don't think that's every place right. that you cross. I mean, again, I'm basing that somewhat just on intuition that if the reports are be- to be believed, it was less than five minutes after they crossed that they were accosted. So, it so that would
1: make sense mistaken identity.
4: Exactly. Because I, that, I think to Michael's point, I do not think these cartels are in the business of, and they do believe it was a cartel. They do, the cartels these, run parts of Mexico. These cartels are not man. in the business of kidnapping Americans for the exact reason Michael said. It's just bad PO. You know, they don't want to draw attention. to. It's not worth the hit you take as this story is showing. I mean, it's become an, a national story. Oh my. Right. I mean, the Mexican president... I thought said something interesting. It might've been the governor of this, this area. I don't want to attribute it, but a Mexican politician said, you know, they don't report on the Mexicans killed when they cross the border in the United States, you know, which I don't know if it's at all um, similar in terms of numbers, but I would say like it is, it is, this story has gotten a huge amount of attention. And I think rightly so. Totally agree.
1: Uh, Now, can I go back to what you said about these medical procedures? This is a common practice. People leave the United States because like, they're cheaper. Where, like in Mexico and Canada. Well, but even if you try they drove about, across the country. Yes. Yes.
3: And I think in other parts of the world, you know, you see this throughout Asia as well. Not necessarily going to Mexico for procedures, but as to, you know, what, how far you're willing to go just to get something done.
1: Yep. I, yep. I was. Uh, I also think my you, under, I think you
4: underestimate the amount of plastic surgery happening both in this country and in other countries. I so must. It's stunning. Vast.
1: Yeah. I must. Yeah, no. Fast. I've, yeah, I, I've I've read some pieces. I mean, I got my just, calves done recently. Do you do you think like okay? <laughs> well, this is I, a little bit off the point, but these whoever they were going to see in Mexico, do you think that they are licensed physicians and know what they're doing, or do you think this is a back alley situation? I mean, it's. I think to Michael's point, it's cheaper. I think I don't do they I advertise in the United
3: States about- then. I think that you could look at this in terms of certain construction stuff where you might go through a permitting process for certain uh, projects that reach a certain level or scale. And there's certain things that just could, it's easier to just get it taken care of by somebody who's done this, you know, many, many yep. times.
1: It's not that big of a deal. Yep. Well, I'll I mean, do- we wouldn't do it, but what? I'll go back to my original thought about this. This is across the street from us and it is lawless. Yeah. Right. I yes. mean, yes. I don't expect that from Mexico. I expect a centralized government. I, I, I think expect- Mexico
4: is in far worse shape than the average person realizes. I, I think they don't. Yeah. We don't think about it that often, uh, even though it's our neighbor to the south. I think it is in terms of crime and and the control the cartels have at least over certain parts of the country in far worse shape than wow. than we think about. That was, and I th- think these wow. incidents sort of bring that to
1: to the fore. Can I ask another political question? Sure. In recent weeks and months, it appears that the Republican Party has turned the the conservative party that was always in favor of keeping the Russians down Mm -hmm. has seemed to turn the other way and wants us out of the Ukraine, even though Ukraine is fighting the Russians. Can you explain that? That seems like a pivot yes. that I
4: never expected. So there's a split within the Republican Party. I, I would still say the majority of the Republican Party, the majority of the Republican Party is still hawkish in terms of foreign policy and pro-Ukraine and pro-providing Ukraine with the military things it needs to to fight Russia. But there is definitely a segment within the party this is Matt Gates of Florida, Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. Some of the more I thought
1: Matt Gates was under investigation and could be charged. No longer,
4: the investigation closed. Yes, um, the the more Trumpy elements of the House Republican Party are now essentially saying: JD Vance, the new senator from Ohio, has said some of this. Like we need to spend money on this country. We need to we need to stop spending money on foreign wars. Uh, Ukraine is very far away. (laughs) Uh, You you know, there we need to spend the money here. Trump is you know, he gave a big speech on Saturday night in Maryland. Um, He said he walked that line of saying we need to end foreign wars. Uh, We need to reinvest in this country. I think it's a dividing line he's going to draw between him and DeSantis, Ron DeSantis from Florida, who will also run for president, who is in second in every poll I've seen to Trump. um, That. You know, Trump was very sort of anti-intervention during his time in office, and I think he'll continue. But, yeah, it's a remarkable thing because it, it used is. to be that Republicans would hit Democrats for being constantly soft for being soft on sort of foreign aid and, and all that my stuff. And, whole life. And now you have the, the the opposite being true in that Democrats are united behind aid to Ukraine, and Republicans are splintered. Now, again, I don't think it's a 50-50 split. I still think there are more Republicans in elected office and just generally who are um well, Mitch McConnell is right. McConnell uh, McCarthy has been a little bit wishy-washy, but I think overall is still That's pro, <laughs> pro pro money to Ukraine. But it, but there is a there is a significant block of voters and and politicians who are now saying, like, should we keep
1: spending money? One more thing. At what point will Trump unload on DeSantis? I mean,
4: I think he. He already is in certain ways. So again, I the speech he gave over the weekend, he didn't mention DeSantis. Uh, he didn't mention anyone running against him. But uh, he did talk about poli- Republican politicians who have supported cutting Medicare and Social Security. DeSantis did do that when he was in the House. So that's an attack. He is also, uh, and I know you'll appreciate this, he is also road testing nicknames for DeSantis. Are we
3: done with the sanctimonious?
4: So- he really, according to the reporting, Donald Trump really likes Ron De DeSanctimonious, which is what he uses. But there are a number of other suggestions, including my favorite. Tiny D? Tiny D. <laughs> Tiny D? Tiny D. That is apparently is he, being considered. Or, he, or uh, there's also Meatball small? Is he Ron? small? Is he he small? Is, no. No, not, particularly, not particularly. I mean, he's smaller. Trump is big, yeah, Trump. right? Trump Can is I ask like... you
1: this other question? And this is not my idea. This is a friend of mine's idea. If you debated Trump, why wouldn't you seriously at the end of every sentence say, you know, you're fat? <laughs> no, really, you're like fat. You small hands. And you're fat. Yeah. <laughs> and see if you could get him to go crazy. So, I don't know if you right? were... I don't know he if does that to you. I don't know if you remember this.
4: In, during the 2016 campaign, there was like a five day window where it looked like Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, was going to Marco. Little Marco, little right? Marco. Exactly, as you remember. He is diminutive, by the way, <laughs> right. Marco Rubio. Um, it. It looked like he was going to be the guy to be the Trump alternative. This was before Ted Cruz was, you know, mm-hmm. it was early in the race. And so the Rubio people made like a very interesting decision that they were gonna do exactly what you said, that the, fight fire with fire. Yeah. We and gotta that, have the stomach for and it. That is when, and that is when Rubio started to ta- you know, Trump is famously thin skinned about a lot of things, but about his hand size. Like, that's a thing. Like, that people... right well, I remember that. Like, a long time ago, some reporter wrote that he had... I think it might have been Graydon Carter wrote that he had small hands. And, like, he'd been obsessed with every so, so Rubio did a thing where he said, you know, I mean, you know what they say about guys with small hands. And, like, left it at that. So he kind of went into that gutter with Trump. And it was a couple days later at a debate where Trump said, I think, the most stunning thing he's ever said. Like, in a Republican mm-hmm. debate, he said... There's no problem that my hands are normal and there's no problem down there. I guarantee you. I mean, he said that in a debate. <laughs> remember that yeah. in a Republican presidential debate. But what wound up happening was it kind of, it all fairness still, is, still that also happened in the Lincoln Douglas debate. So true. Yes, <laughs> Douglas, <laughs> Douglas questioned Lincoln's manhood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that rebounded, boomeranged, in a really negative way for Rubio. People yes. like, oh, God, Rubio's getting down in the mud. Like, it, it, people have a you different standard. have to get standard, in the mud. But people have a different, they judge Trump by a standard, a much lower standard, than they judge anyone else. And that is the problem. It's like, when you get in the mud, he doesn't get it on him, whereas you get it all over yourself. Like, people have tried it. It just hasn't worked. So... I kind of generally agree with you that, like, why not just go at him? But if past result, if past performance is indicative of future results, it might not work.
1: (sighs) It would be fun to see. (laughs) We'll take a break. We'll come back with the email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser
6: Show. Here comes so.
1: bay high school it's lovely so evocative for me every time i hear it i love it do the bethesda bagel ad for us bethesda bagels uh we got the bagel sandwiches there. we're always happy about that yes. uh you can get them too just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the dc area nearest you then pop on in and you will be thrilled my friend that'll uh just about do it for us today before we get to the mailbag let me just say love love is strange a lot of people take it for a game once you get it you never want to quit no no after you've had it you're in an awful fix most people don't understand. They think loving is money in the hand. Your sweet loving is better than a kiss. When you leave me, sweet kisses I miss. That's either Peaches and Herb or Ian and Sylvia. It's one of those Mickey two. and Sylvia. Mickey and Sylvia. Mickey and Sylvia, yes. Yeah, not Ian. Ian and Sylvia is somebody else. Oh. Mickey and Sylvia. Ian and somebody. Yeah, I think so. Was that song in that movie you love, um, Jennifer Grey, Dirty Dancing? Is it Dirty Dancing? Yeah, it's Dirty Dancing. I don't know that it was in that. Okay. Thanks to our guests, Mark Feintan and Chris Saliza. This is a fun show. Thanks to our sponsors today, Policy Genius, HelloFresh, Fresh. Simply safe. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. Get the show through Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. I've got some old ones here from Dan Navin. Caracara oranges run sale at my local grocery store oh, for $2.99 for three pounds a bag. Um, Three-pound bag. Not as tasty as haagen but a little healthier. Thinking on sale, I'll give them a try. As I walk downstairs on Sunday, the woman related to me by marriage said, don't buy those Caracara oranges again. They're a pain in the behind to peel. My reply is they taste good. Her reply is not as good as the ones that are easy to peel. <laughs> My reply is Michael likes them. So Wife's reply Kevin is likes them. your Kevin. brother? Me? No, Kornheiser. It's <laughs> like shake of the head. Don't buy them again. <laughs> Next time, I will purchase the hagen I judge any orange
3: that you can't peel in one single piece. Oh, that's good From standard.
1: Bill Masters. you got to see Elvis. It's a tribute to the music that was the soundtrack of your life. You will enjoy it. Trust me. Full disclosure, my wife, Gail Berman, is the producer. It took her 10 years to make the movie. I would like to be the official spouse of an Oscar nominee on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Sure. P.S. Ask Peter Melman about Gail. But Melman will listen. Then he'll tell me. Sure. Uh, from Greg Thomas in Cincinnati. The many memories of Howard Johnson's in Galena, Ohio, has stirred memories of my growing up in Columbus, Ohio. My first job was in the laundry at Howard Johnson's on Route 161 in North Columbus. Glamour I was job. 13 years old. I made the minimum wage at the time, $1. 25 an hour, summer before my freshman year of high school, and I blame this job for my propensity to avoid manual labor. To say... Uh, to say it was hot would not come close to describing working in a windowless, no air conditioning room with industrial-sized washers and dryers constantly running. And the things guests That's did, did to the, the towels. towels and sheets. <laughs> we never came close to the restaurant and the ice cream. My memories of Galena are much better. Galena was home to Blackhawk Golf Course. At one time, was ranked in the top ten public courses in Ohio. My father played there every Tuesday in his company's golf league. Every once in a while, he would take me along as his caddy, and I would always caddy for him when they held their championship on a Saturday. As I got older, we would play together, along as my two older brothers. He was not a good golfer, but he taught me the etiquette of the game, replacing divots, repairing ball marks, etc. We played as often as we could until he was unable to make it around the course. I think it was when he was around 90 years old that he was no longer able to play. He died when he was 95. Blackhawk was always his favorite course. You'd have loved it because it has zero sand traps. I still use some of his clubs when I golf. Alas, Blackhawk no longer exists. I think it is now a housing development. I was told a few years ago that Jason Day lived near the course at one time. But thanks for bringing those memories to me. I hope you and Michael have many more rounds left. I never had a bad day on the course with my dad. I've never had a bad day on the course with my son. From Matt Mark of Damascus, Maryland. The story of Tony's dad saving Styrofoam made me want to share a story about my mom. She grew up on a small dairy farm about 20 minutes outside of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. She was the youngest of eight, born during the Great Depression, and lived through rationing during World War II. My parents built a house on a lot at their farm. I think that because of that upbringing, anything that could possibly be useful didn't get thrown out. That included the disposable cups from fast food restaurants used if we went to pick raspberries, straws, why buy new ones, and egg cartons, a lot of egg cartons. When I had kids of my own, their elementary school art teacher sent a list of items she wanted to use in art class, asking for parents to get them for her. Egg cartons were on the list. I said, I can hook her up with egg cartons. (laughs) On my next trip to my parents' house, we filled up the back of the minivan with three floor-to-ceiling stacks of egg cartons that accumulated in the basement over forty years. Mom was happy that someone could use them. I've inherited some of that mentality, but not to the extent of my parents. My kids won't have to deal with egg cartons accumulating in the basement. From Chris in Raleigh, North Carolina, but he's currently in Amsterdam. As a present to the woman to whom I'm related by marriage, has taken me to London, Paris, we are now in Amsterdam. While here, one of the places we went to visit is the Tulip Museum. Yes, the Tulip Museum, which as a former writer and someone who lives on that side of the street might be interested to know is a block away from the house Anne Frank hid in when she wrote her diary. As we're walking through the museum, there is a slideshow in which they tell the story of the rise and fall of tulips as a currency, at which points I said out loud, like crypto, to which my wife gave me a look I can only believe was the same what a rum-dum look Carol gave to you (laughs) when you introduced her as your sister to Jacqueline Smith. From Dave Berman in Kenosha, Wisconsin. When I was in high school, I took a psychology class, and one of the chapters was on operant or operant conditioning. We had a Skinner box and a white lab mouse that was learning that hitting the lever led to the food being dispensed. Each weekend, a different student had the chance to bring the mouse and the box home with him or her. When it was my weekend with the mouse, I brought it home and I kept it in my bedroom. You can imagine my horror when I came back from soccer practice on Saturday and found that Ichabod, our cat, had gotten the cage open Uh-oh. and ate the mouse. A cat's gonna cat, right? Yeah, that's what cats anyway, do. I did what any responsible, almost adult would do. I rode my bike to the pet store, bought the closest looking mouse <laughs> to the one the cat ate, and kept my mouth shut when the class questioned why the mouse had somehow regressed in its learning. <laughs> Until this email, I've never told a soul. Given that was over 40 years ago, and I don't know of any classmates who are littles, I'm probably in the clear, right? It's a scientific so method. Great. From John Shackelford. I'm a longtime little from the village of Mer Rouge, Louisiana, a small farming community in northeast Louisiana. The Mer Rouge State Bank is the smallest bank in Louisiana, but has all the services you need. If you call, a person will answer. You can even have the president's cell number. Your money is safe there. While they do make loans to farmers, they don't make loans to restaurants. Too risky. And from Gordy in San Diego. If we're talking about favorite rivers, and this is a long time ago, this is last August, if we're talking about favorite rivers, I'd have to say that I'm partial to a particular body of water that's typically visited in the middle of the night while you're walking in your sleep. The only issue is the river is wide and it's too hard to cross. On second thought, maybe Billy was talking about the Susquehanna. If you're out on your bike tonight everyone, as always, do wear white.
0: Why do I want to puke? You?
6: Alive. We will survive locked in